Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Adam McKay won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay for his adaptation of The Big Short. His newest film at the end of 2018 is Vice, McKay's darkly satiric yet mostly true retelling of the life and career of Dick Cheney. He has come a long way since his Second City days as an improviser and founding member of the Upright Citizens Brigade. McKay is a former head writer for Saturday Night Live, where he first teamed up with Will Ferrell on sketches and digital shorts. Their first feature film together was 2004's Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. McKay also wrote and directed Ferrell in Talladega Nights, The Legend of Ricky Bobby, Step Brothers, The Other Guys, Anchorman 2, and on Broadway and HBO in a send-up of George W. Bush called You're Welcome America. Together, McKay and Farrell formed Gary Sanchez Productions in 2006, and a year later helped launch Funny or Die. In 2018, McKay had one of his busiest years yet, bringing the series Succession to HBO, executive producing several other TV series, and finishing work on Vice, all while surviving a heart attack. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! They're good. So within, I'm going to say like eight minutes, I'm in the hospital. And, you know, the paramedics start treating me right away. So the doctor said, how did you know to do that? Usually the queasy stomach one, people ignore that one. And I said, it was actually my lead actor <laughs> told me how to do it. He goes, well, because of that, because you acted so fast, you have no damage to your heart. Your heart's very strong, actually. He goes, look, you quit smoking, you'll live to be 100. Just don't smoke anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh so yeah, about a week later, I called Christian Bale and I told him, I said, either you or Dick Cheney saved my life. <laughs> um, I can't figure out which. <laughs> and, uh, he was obviously very concerned initially, but then I told him, no, no, I'm A-OK. And then uh, we laughed pretty hard. When when you were when you were going through the, the actual heart attack, was there any part of you that that thought, that thought back to the show that you did back in 1995 when you promised people that you would kill yourself and and thought, this is not how it was supposed to go. <laughs> That's interesting. That's interesting. I mean, now I think you're operating on a subconscious level here. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, subconscious artistic death wish. Is that mm-hmm. a possibility? Um, well, you know, clearly clearly interested in it, clearly a part of some of the work I've done. So, um, God, I'll tell you, though, when you get close to it, it doesn't seem as interesting. So uh, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll move away from that. But uh, but that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Well, you know, you know, back then, you know, I was going back and looking back in the files. Back in the 90s, you were you were you were uh, deeply political with your satire even back then. Yeah. Yeah, I think always. I mean, the change that was happening in our country really started to become apparent in the early 90s. Uh, and you really started to see this, like, soaring income inequality. And and all of a sudden, they were just, like, moving, like, home, like mentally ill people out of uh, hospitals and just putting them on the street. And stuff started to get weird. And it was, it was very apparent. And 
Yet there was also part of our culture that was still having a blast off the uh, 70s and the 80s mm-hmm. that hadn't quite caught up with the changes that were coming. So, you know, I, I mean, I love to laugh. And uh, and when you can combine, like, some really legitimately funny stuff with stuff that's also got a little bite to it about the world around you, I mean, that's that's the best of the best. So, And then I was lucky enough that I was in Chicago, which has a long tradition of uh, political comedy and satire and and union activism, Studs Terkel, and I mean, it's a great town for that background. And uh, and Del Close, as our teacher, was a guy who always believed in play at the top of your intelligence, you know, bring meaning, bring relevance to whatever you're doing. So it, it kind of couldn't have been a, a better city, a better place, a better experience for me. And I, the people around me were just amazingly talented, too. It was a kind of a gold rush of talent at that time. There were so many people in town, like Tina Fey and Neil Flynn, Dave Keckner, and just on and on. Mike Myers right before we were there. Chris Farley, it was just dozens and dozens of mega-talented people that were just coming to Chicago. Can you can you tell me about this the shift in your thinking uh, somewhere between Step Brothers and the other guys where the that kind of more serious satirical spark took hold? Yeah, I think that, you know, for, first and foremost, I just love movies. I always have, always will. I watch all kinds of movies. Um, from the time I was a kid, my dad would always take me to the movie on weekends, and like a lot of us, right? And uh, and I just, but I've always liked all kinds of different movies. So, you know, it was like we were you know, let out of the playpen for Anchorman and Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. And Will and I had been dying to do that kind of sense of humor in movies, and we finally had a chance. And and right away, one of the fun things was getting to play with the visual style on each one, like, you know, Anchorman kind of had its own look. And then Talladega Nights, we got to shoot, like, legitimate racing scenes and... And so that's, you know, I just really started falling in love with, like, the different things you could do with these movies and how you can make them look. So for the idea being for uh, the other guys that you, you shoot it like a real movie, you shoot it like The French Connection. You know, we shot it on film, we shot, you know, no movies as good as The French Connection. But the idea of, like, you shoot it as real as you can, and then you have some of our absurd comedy in there, what would happen if you blended those two? And then you had satire and social commentary in there, so... Yeah, just with each movie, you get to try new stuff, and it, it's it's fun and, and cool, and there's so many talented, like, DPs and production designers and people and directions you can go, and I, I think that's really just what started happening, was, you know, suddenly these opportunities came where I could just try different stuff. Right, and, and obviously, I guess, getting getting the Oscar for The Big Short probably really helped you decide the, the method you took in telling Vice, with the similar ca- yeah. cameos, the Naomi Watts is the anchor, and Jesse Plemons. It gave us room to do more of that, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, I'd seen it work. Um, I knew that when I was writing the Vice script, I, I didn't have to handcuff myself. If there was an instinct, I could go with it. Um, that was exciting. Charles Randolph, who I co-wrote uh, The Big Short with, he was the one that told me, he's like, you shouldn't stop using this kind of form you're playing with. Like mm-hmm. it's got more life to it. He was actually one of the reasons I went back to it. I was okay. Like, yeah, you know what? He's right. 
there is more meat on that bone. Like, let me, let me play around with this again. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that was it. And then, you know, it's, it's obviously uh, a big, you know, uh, uh, unusual, somewhat risky movie. And uh, because The Big Short did well, made a bunch of money, obviously got good reviews and awards. Uh, I was lucky enough that uh, a place like Annapurna took a shot at this movie. So, how how would you compare your current uh, acting ensemble of Christian Bale and Steve Carell to your old school buddies of Will Ferrell and John C. Riley? Ah. Uh. I mean, they're they're all pretty damn good, <laughs> but they have different styles to them. So they do. I mean, the only thing I think I do with Farrell is there is a style to what we do that's kind of this hyper push American style that we always do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always kind of riffing on like American culture, American men, and it's slightly pushed. Um, so I would say that's how it's different. It's not like it's poorly acted. It's mm-hmm. really well done. Farrell's amazing. But it's just always like 10% more real than real. Um, it's not like in Jim Carrey, uh, East Ventura land, but it's just a little bit pushed. Sure. And I think with what we're dealing with this group, who are all very funny as well, is nothing's pushed. Nothing's ever pushed. Everything's played 100% real, but you still obviously can get great comedic moments out of that. Yeah, I mean... I've been I've been a fan of Christian Bale's talent. I mean, he, the way he disappears into that role of Cheney is is beyond amazing. But I was also equally surprised by uh, Steve Carell's version of uh, Rummy. How good is he? Oh my god! Because <laughs> I was not expecting that to be as good as it was. Yeah, that's a fun character. I mean, Rummy is a guy who's just kind of kind of naked and above board with his ambition and doesn't really care who knows it and those are always fun characters to play but what I loved was how Steve towards the end of the movie was able to bring in like legitimate pathos with Donald Rumsfeld like that end scene where he's finally let go is, is really kind of heartbreaking you're like watching a guy be shattered right in front of you yeah uh, I noticed also in the credits, uh, Pearl's name shows up. <laughs> Very keen eye. Uh, <laughs> my poor family had to put up with me doing this movie for two years. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of time. Obviously, I had the heart scare, a lot of hours of editing, a lot of long days of shooting, and I just I had to give them a little thanks in the end. Like They really put up with it. And, uh, so, yeah. Now, when you when you when you filmed the landlord, did you did you and Will already know that you were going to be launching Funny or Die, or was or did that happen after you filmed it? It was uh, we 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 just met with these uh, guys, Mark Kwame and his son, mm-hmm. and uh, and Michael Kwame, and they had a little bit of money from a VC firm up north, and they just kind of wanted to try a little comedy site. And I remember our manager, Jimmy Miller, was like, you know what? It's not your money. Why not? Like, <laughs> you, guys, you guys don't get to do SNL anymore, and you still have sketch ideas. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, with video and editing, you can do stuff really fast. And we were, and he goes, yeah, and you can invite other friends in, other comics, like Zach Galifianakis and Dave Gector and whoever you can think of. Paul yeah, bet- and, but Between Two Ferns, is, 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 isn't Between Two Ferns going to be a movie now? Yeah, yeah, they're working on a movie. How great is that? <laughs> great, 
Um, so, yeah, we just thought it was a goof around. It was like a little kind of simple site. Mm-hmm. We shot that landlord video in like 35 minutes, just over at Farrell's guest house with a friend of mine holding a video camera. And we just put it up. And we, we honestly didn't think twice. And then within a day, we got calls that the servers for the site were crashing and the video was getting like... 5 million hits, 10 million hits, 15 million hits, 20 million hits, and that was it, like, kaboom, it just got gigantic, and uh, before I knew it, Pro was being offered, like, a giant article in People Magazine, the Ellen Show wanted it on, and my wife was uh, very pissed off at me. So, so not like the Apatow family? It was not that reaction, no. <laughs> uh, uh, no, my wife was like, don't you dare turn our children, my, my daughter, into a child star. I was like, honey, don't worry. What? But then Pearl kind of liked it. Yeah. It was having fun. So we did one more. That was the compromise. All right, good uh, cop. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I know you're no longer really involved with Funny or Die. Yeah, it, it, you know, certainly with it for a long, long time. Had an amazing time. Uh, but, you know, I'm just busy with, like, tons of other stuff. And I don't like the idea of, like, being involved with something but not really involved with it. So it, it felt like time to move on. And I just saw Mike Fair the other day. We're all still friendly with each other. But, yeah, it was definitely time to move on. When were you the most involved with it? Definitely in the beginning. It was definitely the first two or three years. Mm-hmm. You know, first year, we basically kind of ran it and uh, it almost became our full-time job and then for the next couple of years after that we were very involved we were involved in hiring we do videos and then I'd say the stage after that is where Mike Farah and Andrew Steele kind of took over day to day and they did a great job and uh, at that point we were able to relax a little more so we would do an occasional video kind of check in what the site was going on and then, you know, in the last four or five years, it's just, I, I've just been so busy with other stuff that it's, my involvement got even, even less. And I just felt like, you know, probably time to move on and God bless everyone. And so, yeah, yeah that's fine. And they're still chugging along and they're, they're doing more uh, production of television now and seem to be having some good success with that and still making videos, of course. I was, I was going to say that in addition to making award winning movies, you're also, you managed to have an EP credit on one, two, three, four, at least five different shows on five different networks right now. Is that true? <laughs> uh, Succession on HBO. I Love You, America with Sarah Silverman. Uh, yeah. No Activity, Drunk History, and I'm Sorry. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. I, I didn't even know that. Well, the ones I'm like, Succession, I was heavily involved in. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I shot the pilot. Drunk History is one of those ones that just you dream of because once the show got set up, it's, you know, Owen Burke is our lead producer on that, and those guys just churn them out every year, and it's just been great. So that one's been pretty easy. I haven't had to really get involved too much in that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then a couple of the other ones are more... Uh, that some other lead producer is on it. Um, I'm sorry, it's a really good show, but I haven't been too involved in that. Okay. We have a couple others coming out, too. We have one called Dead to Me that's going to come on Netflix. Oh, nice. Um, developing, oh, we have a show coming out on Amazon called The Giant Beast that is the World Economy. Um, so I think that will be seven shows. <sighs> 
when when you when you look back on all the stuff that you're either currently working on or have worked on uh, through Gary Sanchez, do you see kind of a a narrative through line of of what's interesting to you and what where your passions lie? Yeah, yeah, like definitely. You know, Succession is a show I'm very, very involved in, very into. Uh, that definitely fits with what I'm interested in, you know, as the world becomes more and more an oligarchy and you see this crazy dynastic wealth and these families. That is exactly the kind of thing I want to be making. And, uh, yeah, so that, and that the giant beast that is the world economy is really cool. That kind of came out of my collaboration with Adam Davidson on The Big Short. And, you know, the idea of doing, like, fun, kind of cool documentary-style stuff about these subjects that, once again, most people would consider boring, but are actually incredibly cool. So, uh, yeah, there does seem to be a through line, and Drunk History fits with that, too, although that wasn't my idea, but um, that's obviously Derek Waters. But right. uh, I, I love those types of things, you know, that can make things interesting and yet funny and entertaining. Um so, yeah, there's a bit of a through line going on. Early on, we started with pretty much all comedy, and now we're really branching out. We're, we've done more and more dramas. We had an indie film that went to Cannes last year called Oh Lucy. That's a really cool movie. And uh, and we have a horror film we're developing uh, based on a short story by Joe Hill that's like truly terrifying. So it all goes back to the fact that just I love movies, all kinds of movies. And, uh, and the goal for the company was to always get to that place where we could do all kinds of stuff. How has your opinion changed over the last three or four years uh, as the political landscape has changed so dramatically? How has your, how has your opinion changed on, on the role of satire and what you can do, what you can bring to the conversation? You know, I definitely think we're in this kind of recalibrating phase right now with comedy. I think it's very hard to react to the this madness. I mean, I, the example I always give is when Trump was standing in the forests talking about how we have to rake the forests. Mm. It might be the single craziest thing I've ever seen. And it's really funny. I mean, it's so far beyond being there. Like, they wouldn't have written that dialogue in being there. <laughs> and yet it's really the president and yet global warming is real, and so it's also horrifying and really, really upsetting at the same time. So I, I think that I, I'm just seeing with the comedy world, I think we're trying to kind of figure it out. Like, And at the same time, you see these like kind of impassioned speeches from Jimmy Kimmel that are like really moving. Right. So it's Jimmy Kimmel and, and like... <laughs> talking about health care. I mean? like, yeah. What's that? Yeah, talking about health care. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, God bless him. It was a great speech. But, but like, where are we right now? <laughs> it's, it's pretty weird. I mean, so I think what we're trying to do is just kind of jump into the void a little bit and kind of say, like, we don't know exactly where this is all going to go, but let's try some stuff. And I thought Succession was a really good attempt at that, where, like, it's got, like, a dark comedy to it and... I think it did a great job of kind of portraying how gross that kind of extreme wealth can be, yet it's funny, yet the characters are, are awful, yet it's kind <laughs> of vulnerable in a weird way. Like, yeah. um, So, you know, more and more of that kind of stuff, like uh, uh, Black Mirror is another one, I think, that's kind of getting into that realm. I thought Death of Stalin did a little bit of that. Oh, right, like, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, we'll see. It's going to be interesting, man. I mean, comedy always has a place, but the world right now is just moving so fast and in such crazy, unpredictable ways. I think, yeah, comedy's a tad confused. <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you maintain your own balance in that atmosphere? Well, you know, I mean, the one thing I really like that's come out of the comedy world lately is this, um, I don't know what you would call it, but this, this like, totally honest thing where, mm-hmm. like, people talk about anxiety and depression and, and uh, their feelings and their shortcomings. And that's something that 30 years ago was definitely not happening. No. The whole idea when you were a stand-up 30 years ago was you had like had a sharp jacket on and you were supposed to look like you understood the world better than anyone else. That was kind of the stand-up vibe. And kind of Seinfeld, like, you know, hey, I get it. Everything's ridiculous. Listen to me. And I do love this movement of I'm going to talk about my real shit. You know, it's, uh, it's a nice thing to see happening. So I think... I think that's a direction that could be the surprising direction maybe is that, you know, the answer to a lot of this kind of political craziness is usually based in some sort of spiritual grassroots change. It usually doesn't come from like some election or ballot. It usually comes from like real people. So maybe there's something to this mental health movement and this kind of like no shame about mental health that could, that could lead to something really interesting. And there's a lot of comics that are really good at doing it. Huh. There are, including Chris Gethard, who was a guy that uh, you worked with. 100%. I would say he's one of the best at it. I yeah. love Chris Gethard. So, uh, well, Adam, I, uh, you know, I know you've got a lot of award speeches to start writing, so <laughs> I appreciate your time. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on, and uh, have a glorious, glorious evening. And uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays, yeah. absolutely. Merry Christmas. Okay. Happy New Year. Thanks again. Bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.